Hi everyone, welcome to another one of The Branches online sermons. Hello to people watching from home and hello to people who are gathering together uh, at the church building today. It's a real uh, privilege and a blessing to be able to start doing that again, albeit in slightly different circumstances. Well, I wonder what you think of when you hear the word discipline. Maybe it sounds kind of harsh to you, you know, it conjures up images of some kind of strict, self-imposed training regime. Maybe the word discipline brings back memories of an angry parent stepping in when you did the wrong thing. Maybe discipline is a bit of a painful word for you. Or maybe you're a parent yourself and you hear the word discipline and if you're like me, it reminds you that you have no idea what you're doing when it comes to disciplining your own kids. Nice thought, but you have no idea what you're doing. What do you think of when you hear the word discipline? Because there's a sense in which our preconceived idea about discipline shape how we feel about the reality of a God who disciplines us. And that's exactly the reality that's given to us in our text today. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 to 13 tells us that God disciplines us. Today we're going to look at three truths about that reality and I hope that as we unpack these truths you'll come to see that the reality of a God who disciplines us is actually quite wonderful. So the first truth we see is that God does discipline the ones that he loves. In verse 5 and 6 of this chapter, the writer to the Hebrews gives them a word of encouragement that says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. Now, the hardship that the people who the letter of Hebrews was written to were facing was opposition and persecution. If you remember in chapter 10, we read that some of them had been insulted and mocked. They'd had their property stolen off them and some of them had even been put in prison. And the writer to the Hebrews tells them that this hardship was the disciplining hand of God. God was the one behind it all disciplining them because he loved them. He was treating them as a father treats his children. But that leaves the question, what kinds of hardship should we interpret as discipline? For the Hebrews, it was the persecution they were facing, but what about other kinds of hardship? What about sickness or loss or unemployment? Is God disciplining us through those things as well? Well, we take our clue from the text itself. Notice that verse 7 simply says, Endure hardship as discipline. It doesn't say, Endure this hardship as discipline, or Endure that hardship as discipline, or Endure some hardship as discipline. It simply says, Endure hardship as discipline. The lack of a qualifier in front of the word hardship leads us to think that all hardship of whatever kind can be understood 
as the loving discipline of God. God is sovereign over anything, over everything, the good things and the evil things. Nothing that happens in this world, in your life, happens outside of his will. Even hard things, tragic things. When Job in the Bible lost everything, all of his possessions and all his children, remember what he said? He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All hardship of whatever kind can be understood as the loving discipline of God. You say, well, how can that be? What kind of loving God would do that? If you're watching this and Christianity is new to you, then you might be thinking, I don't like the sound of this God that disciplines people. But saying that God disciplines us is different to saying that he punishes us. The good news of the Bible is that even though we deserve to be punished, for rejecting God, for living life our own way, for all the wrong things that we've done, something which the Bible calls sin. We deserve to be punished for that. But Jesus came into our world and died on a cross to take that punishment for anyone who believes in him. If you believe in Jesus and entrust yourself to him, God has adopted you as his child and your whole life, even the hardship that you face, comes under the umbrella of his love and care. You don't need to worry about God being angry at you or punishing you. Jesus took that anger and punishment himself. You're God's child who he loves. So now even the hard parts of your life can be understood as God's loving discipline. And the writer of the Hebrews goes on to say, what kind of children aren't disciplined by their father? It's a reality of life that dads discipline their kids. It's also a reality that the kids don't like it. It's unpleasant and painful sometimes. But a dad disciplining his kids doesn't mean for a second that he doesn't love them. If anything, you'd argue that the opposite is true. Imagine if you've got a little toddler putting themselves in harm's way, running with scissors or running out in traffic or something like that. And as a dad, you look over and shrug and say, not my kid. No, a loving father intervenes. Or think about this. As parents, as mum and dad, you have an idea of the kind of character that you want to instill in your children. You might have a little boy and you want them to grow up to be respectful and polite and to honour the women in their life and respect them. But imagine if dad never actually does anything to try and instill that character in his boy and train him. Dad just sits on the couch and drinks beer and watches footy all the time. That's not love. No, a loving father gets involved in disciplining their kids. Even if he has to deal firmly with them or cause them pain, he's doing it because he loves them. He loves them and that's why he disciplines them. Discipline, when it's 
done well, not with uh, anger or the wrong motives, but discipline when it's done well isn't the sign of a harsh or an absent father. No, it's the sign of a father that loves his kids and wants what's best for them. And it's the same with God. God disciplines us because he loves us. I don't know what kind of hardship or struggle you're going through at the moment. It could be something mild or it could be something far more painful. Whatever it is, please remember this word of encouragement. God disciplines the ones he loves. He's treating you as his child. He's disciplining you because he loves you. I think the challenge for us in the middle of our hardships is to recognise and really believe that. Even in the simple day-to-day frustrations of life, kids that won't eat their dinner again, it's a battle every single night. People at work giving you grief in a job that you don't really like anyway. Coming home to an empty house when what you really crave is companionship. Each of us face these kind of day-to-day hardships where life isn't all that we wish it was. And those hardships are real. They're painful. But how often do we stop and think to ourselves, God is disciplining me here because he loves me. I wonder what he's trying to teach me in this. In really taxing things like chronic pain or some other kind of illness that makes your day-to-day life miserable. Grief or loss. You get up in the morning and it's there again. The thought of facing another day with searing pain in your joints or really low energy. It's overwhelming sometimes. Brothers and sisters, when you feel that pain, when that exhaustion or grief washes over you like a wave, please don't think of those things as just some kind of random, impersonal force. Instead, think of God as your Father who loves you. Yes, dealing with you in a way that's painful, But at the same time, and in the same way that a loving God would discipline their kids, think of God stooping down, putting his arms around you, and saying, I know this hurts, but I'm doing this because I love you. God disciplines the one he loves. And that's meant for us to be a word of encouragement. And surely it is encouraging when you compare it to other ways of interpreting hardship. When life is painful, surely it's more encouraging to believe that God is deliberately sending that your way because he loves you than to believe it's all some kind of accident, that God's forgotten you or taken his hands off the wheel. Or worse than that, to think that there is no God. If there's no God then that might mean that your suffering has no meaning or purpose whatsoever. 
But there is a God, and that God disciplines the ones he loves, and that discipline has a purpose. And that's the second truth we see in our text, that God's discipline has a purpose. Look at verse 10 and 11. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Why does God discipline us? He disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness and produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. What does that mean? Well, on the one hand, God wants us to be holy in the sense that we're cleansed from sin. He wants us to throw off the sin that entangles us, as we read in verse 1 of our chapter. That doesn't mean that every hardship we experience is the result of some specific sin in our life. You can't look at someone who's got cancer and say they've definitely got cancer because they've sinned in some way. That's preposterous. But what it does mean is that when we experience hardship, it's a cause for us to examine our lives and see if there is something that God's trying to put his finger on. Through prayer and self-examination, God might show you some area of sin in your life that you need to throw off. The hardship of financial troubles might be God's way of showing you the sin of putting your trust in money and possessions rather than putting your trust in him. The hardship of a bitter and disappointing season of marriage might be God's way of showing you the sins of selfishness and an unforgiving spirit. Sometimes those things might become clear, but not always. In fact, maybe not even often. Perhaps more often than not, God might not be trying to show us some specific sin. Rather, he's training us to become more like him. Sharing in God's holiness isn't just about being free from sin. It's also about sharing in the very character of God, sharing in his attributes producing a harvest of righteousness and peace, bearing fruit. And as we do that, we start to share and reveal the very character of God. God disciplines us to train us to be like him. A bit like that movie, The Karate Kid. Apologies if you're born after 1990. You might have no idea what I'm talking about. But in The Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi disciplined The Karate Kid. Not because he'd done something wrong, but because he wanted him to learn to be prepared for future situations and to become wise and skillful and patient like Mr. Miyagi himself was. You know, the Karate Kid's there doing wax on, wax off, and it made no sense to him at the time. But down the track, it all became clear. And it's the same with God's discipline. God disciplines us, maybe not because of some specific thing we've done wrong, but to train us to be like him. 
sometimes we'll be a bit like the Karate Kid. We'll have no idea why we're going through this particular suffering. And in some ways, that's probably the hardest part about suffering. Not having the reasons why. Sometimes not getting the reasons why for as long as you live. We'll probably never have all the answers. But at the very least, it's worth asking the questions. What is God trying to teach me here? In what ways does he want me to grow in holiness? It's worth asking those questions at an individual level, but also at a corporate level. If nothing else, the, uh, the current hardship for us as churches not being able to meet together is cause for us to examine ourselves as individuals and as a church to ask the question, what is God trying to teach us here? Is there some sin that we need to repent of and throw off? In what ways does God want us to share in his holiness? How is he training us? He might be training us at an individual and family level to take more responsibility for our own personal devotions and, you know, taking up good old family worship again. He might be training us at a, at a more corporate level to uh, take more care for one another to look out for one another, follow each other up by phone, practice hospitality, practice discipling people one-to-one. Whatever God's up to, we can be sure that he's doing it for our good. God wants us to share in his holiness. He wants us to be cleansed from sin and he wants us to bear fruit. Brothers and sisters, isn't that good news? It's good news because if you're like me, then you want that too. You want to share in God's holiness. You're like the people Jesus described in Matthew 5, someone who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. And the good news is that God is in the business of making us holy. He's in the business of producing a harvest of righteousness and peace in our lives, even if he has to use hardship to make that happen. The fruit of righteousness so often grows out of the soil of our suffering. You see it all the time, don't you? When Caitlin and I were wanting to start a family, I reckon we tried for about 18 months to fall pregnant. We finally fell pregnant and it was really exciting. We went to the eight week scan, there was a little heartbeat there, everything was looking really good. Went back for a 12 week scan, no heartbeat, baby had died, Caitlin had suffered a miscarriage. It was devastating, it sucked. It really sucked and at the time it was very painful. But looking back on it now, we can see the way that God used that hardship to grow us in holiness and righteousness. Um, just some of the ways I, I think I would like to say that it's given us more understanding of other couples experiencing fertility issues. It's made us more grateful for the, the children that we do have. We recognize them as a real genuine miracle and a gift from God in ways that 
probably wouldn't have been the case if we hadn't have gone through that. And you can take that same kind of story and put it on repeat that we grow in holiness and righteousness through suffering. Someone I know well started a business a few years ago. They set out with real optimism, but it wasn't long before things weren't working out. He ended up in real financial strife. Him and his family nearly went bankrupt. They had to go and get bailouts from people. The toll that it took on him and on his marriage was enormous, and he fell into quite a deep depression. And I remember talking to him at the time, and he said, Mate, I don't know what God is up to in this, but I trust that he's using it for my good, and I'm sure that he must be trying to teach me something. And you know what? At the time, he didn't really get answers to those questions. But five years down the road, and it's obvious that God has worked powerfully in his life through that suffering... He'll probably never own a home or have any kind of inheritance to leave for his kids, but he's pretty comfortable with that. He's at peace with that. And I tell you what, he is on fire for God. He loves and leads his kids in quite an honourable way. To everyone looking on, it's obvious that he's begun to share in God's holiness, reflect something of God's character in a way that probably wouldn't be the case were it not for the hardship that he'd been through. I know a minister who oversaw a declining church, lost dozens of members, got close to burnout, and realised through that that God was putting his finger on a prideful heart. He's come to grow in repentance over that sin, and these days, as he deals with people, he deals with people with great humility and patience and grace. And in doing so, he's reflecting God's character. He's sharing in God's holiness, dealing with people in the same way that God deals with them. Isn't that wonderful? Well, there's an Australian author called Cecily Patterson who wrote the book Love, Tears and Autism. She prayed that God would help her to love people better. Just a few weeks later, her three-week-old, uh, three-month, a uh, three-year-old rather, son was diagnosed with autism. Her life was turned upside down, and it became really challenging for her. But for her, it's been the road to a deeper and more meaningful love for people. She said in an interview recently, "The main thing I've learned." is that loving someone when you don't get anything back, loving someone when it's really hard, when the other person doesn't say, I love you back to you, that's when you understand how much God loved us. I've learnt to love as God loves in a whole new way. Cecily Patterson is sharing in God's holiness. She's reflecting his character. She's loving as he loves. God disciplines the ones he loves in order that we may share in his holiness and in order to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace in our lives. But we have a role to play as well in terms of how we respond to God's discipline. That's the third truth we see in our text, that God's discipline demands a response. 
Specifically, there's two sets of do's and don'ts that we need to pay attention to. Notice verse 5. It says, Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. What's the opposite of making light of the Lord's discipline? Notice verse 9. We've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Rather, submit to Him and live. We've looked at this a bit in our first point, but we make light of the Lord's discipline when we fail to recognise His hand in our hardships or ignore it. So often when hard times come our way, instead of stopping to reflect and pray and examine ourselves, we just look for the quickest way out. We look for relief. And of course, it goes without saying that there's nothing wrong with looking for relief. If you're sick, go to the doctor. If you do your back in, go to the physio. If you're in financial strife, do what it takes to try and pay down debts or whatever it is. But don't stop there. See, we actually fail to be trained by God's discipline if we make light of it and only ever just look for relief. Or worse, get angry and, and bitter at God. But if we humble ourselves, acknowledge God's hand in our circumstances, pray and ask Him to reveal what He's trying to teach us, seek to allow our circumstances to grow us in holiness, as we do that, we are submitting to God. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline, rather submit to Him and live. And finally, our second set of do's and don'ts, verse 5, do not lose heart when the Lord rebukes you, rather, verse 12, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Don't lose heart, but strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Now, of course, that's easy to say. I know that some of you are dealing with immense hardship that can be overwhelming and all-consuming sometimes. A chronic health issue that makes your life miserable. Bitter disappointments in marriage or family life. A toxic work environment, crippling depression or anxiety. The list goes on, but nothing in this chapter is intended to minimise that hardship or uh, make light of the pain that goes along with it. Rather, God gives us this word of encouragement so that we won't lose heart, but that we'd be strengthened and persevere. Yes, it is hard, especially when hardship and suffering comes. It's hard to persevere. And that's why we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Look with me at verse 1. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus, who not only went before us, but runs along beside us as our great high priest, who empathises with all our weaknesses and helps us in our time of need. 
consider Jesus who himself experienced every kind of hardship under the sun. He was a man of sorrows, familiar with pain. He was despised and rejected and betrayed and mocked and beaten. He was oppressed and afflicted and yet he persevered. He persevered all the way to the cross and he did it for you so that you could be called children of God, yes, loved by him and also disciplined by him as well. God disciplines us because he loves us. He disciplines us so that we might share in his holiness and produce a harvest of righteousness. Don't lose heart, but run with perseverance, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the privilege it is to be called your children who you love. Father, we say thank you for disciplining us, but we don't say it lightly. And particularly think of those uh, who are experiencing uh, your heavy hand at the moment. Lord, please uh, grant them encouragement through this word. Lord, help them and help all of us to recognize your hand in our lives, in the good and the hard things. Lord, help us to remember that you love us. Help us to remember that the hard things and the suffering in our lives are there for our good. And Lord, help us to recognize the wonder that it is that we get to share in your character, that you would invite us to reflect something of who you are as we grow in holiness and as we produce a harvest of righteousness and peace. Father, would you grant us that peace as we keep going? Help us to persevere. And most of all, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for our Saviour Jesus, our great High Priest, who's familiar with all the kinds of hardship that we go through, who empathises with us, who suffered for us, who died for us, so that we, we could be called your children. Father, help us to fix our eyes on him, to abide in him, to know him. And Lord, we pray it in his name. Amen.